Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by TomTaylor.com, as well as St. Alwis's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Also by Two Ways, One Passion, food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I tell you, man, I feel like every time I do this show, I take a dip back in time. And obviously, you know, my experience and my research as a historian in the world of sports, most particularly in baseball, but in life. Because I go to do my show today and I got to worry about an internet connection, you know, going on and off and whether the internet connection is going to be on. It's, you know, it's freaking hilarious. I feel like uh, every day or every time I do a show, I go back in time. It's almost like we have to dial up modem, come in and, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't got time to talk about that crap, but glad to be with you. Saturday, 13th day of July, 2019. Lots of stuff to get into in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. If you want to comment, you can. Feel the uh, feel free to. Anything that's on your mind, like I said, in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. If you're watching or listening on YouTube Live, uh, the premiere video. Feel free to comment, also Periscope, Facebook Live. You can also call the show if you want. I haven't taken a phone call in a while, but the number is 732-364-3598. 732-364-3598. So a couple things we're going to talk about today, and I do look at, you know, the, I don't know, maybe the nature of sports. We just had the baseball all-star game, NFL training camp's going to get started in a little bit. NBA free agency has kind of come to a crescendo. You got not so much going on in the world of sports right now. So, you know, what we'll do is we'll do a little filibuster of a couple different topics, a couple different opinions I want to throw out there. And obviously, you know, the world belongs to you. And if the world belongs to you, then this show belongs to you. So anything that's on your mind, feel free to just mention. Um, thinking about... A couple different things that I'm interested in bringing up today and I do think it's 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 important to bring up championships as they're won whether individually or by a team because when we're in what we call right now you know Wimbledon you got the finals you got a chance for two legendary individual champions in the history of sports and we will talk about that in a little bit, but I want you to sit and think about that for a little bit. What is more valuable or what is a greater accomplishment? Is it an individual championship, an individual sport, or is it a team championship? When we talk about team championships, you know, of course, you know about the New York Yankees and the other teams that are in sports that have won a lot more often than others. Are those better accomplishments or what these individual players like Roger Federer, like Serena Williams, like Jack Nicholas, like Tiger Woods, the things that they're able to do, the amount of championships that they win, are they more valuable? But, you know, once again, it'd be hard to start this show by talking about anything else other than what happened last night and the unfortunate situation involving Tyler Skaggs. And of course, it's very sad. Anytime somebody loses their life in general, it's a big deal. But of course, as it applies to the world of sports, you know, there's a lingering effect. And we talked last week about the Angels and how the organization for a series of years 
have had to deal with unfavorable and unfortunate situations that have surrounded their team. They've probably lost more players during the active parts of their Major League Baseball career than any other team in professional sports. And you see what happened last night, first home game since the tragic passing of Tyler Skaggs. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that really don't believe in God and they don't believe in intervention. And once again, you see in a world of sports where God does intervene. Now, I'm not making this, you know, religious about God or no God. You can believe whatever you want. It's, it, listen, each person is the own general of their own brain, the cerebrum, the cerebellum, the medulla oblongata, the whole thing. You, you got the right with that brain and your mindset in the way that you think to believe in whatever it is that you want to believe in. But we talk about the presence of God and having a God moment. And once again, we see it right before our eyes and it's eerily similar to what we saw a couple of years ago after the tragic passing of Jose Fernandez. And of course, Jose Fernandez dies in a tragic boat accident. The Marlins, their next game, which happens to be a home game against the New York Mets. D. Gordon comes up to the plate. All players on the field are wearing the number 16 Jose Fernandez jerseys. And if you have any compassion at all, you probably were broken to tears when you saw D. Gordon hit that home run against Bartolo Colon. And D. Gordon said, hey, I never in my life hit a ball so hard. I never felt like I could hit a ball that hard and that far. And it was almost like he was getting lifted from a spirit, something kind of enabling him to do what he did. And listen, as he's crying, going around the bases, I, I don't think he could watch a clip of that home run and not get choked up and emotional over it. It was a obviously a tragic situation. You know, the loss of Jose Fernandez was such you know, uh, uh, an impact that was felt throughout the sport of baseball. But, man, just how, how did it feel for the players losing their teammates and finding a way to get themselves back on the field and play a game? Yes, they're getting paid to play, but a game that they're getting paid to play without one of their own. And the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, of course, have played a couple of games since the death of Tyler Skaggs. And they had his jersey up in their dugout while they're playing games on the road, and of course the emotional return home, first home game since his tragic passing, and you get, you know, the the vibes right away that it was all about Tyler Skaggs, and it certainly should have been. The 45 on the mound, all the players on the team wearing 45 jerseys. Mike Trout coming up, hitting a home run in his first at-bat. The Angels scoring seven runs in the first inning, and not only that, the team ends up throwing a no-hitter. 13-0 win over the Seattle Mariners. And listen, the Seattle Mariners, we understand they don't have a lot to play for. And maybe you could say the same over the course of the season with the Angels, not a season that's really worked out to the way that they would love for it to. But man, if you just see the aura and the air of what happened last night, and you know what, there's a lot of people that probably woke up this morning and probably had no idea what happened. I'm sure, you know, your baseball fans know that they're going to do a tribute to Tyler Skaggs in Los Angeles, first home game that they have. Probably aren't surprised that old players were in the number 45 jerseys. And, you know, a lot of you probably wouldn't even be surprised the fact that the Angels won and they dedicated to win to Tyler Skaggs. But seven runs in the first inning, the trout home run. And it's something you never seen before. 
a combined no-hitter by Taylor, Taylor Cole and Felix Pena, which was using what? The opener. The first no-hitter in baseball history using an opener. The Tampa Bay Rays have not done it with Ryan Stanek or anybody else that they've started you know, within the first inning or two. And obviously, when it comes down to what it means to the Angels, to the family of Tyler Skaggs, and to the baseball community, the fact that a no-hitter was thrown last night was probably irrelevant. But do you see the divine intervention that was involved there? And the eerily similar set of circumstances with the Angels and Tyler Skaggs and this game, first home game since his death, and what happened a couple of years ago with Jose Fernandez? Pretty incredible. And like I said, you can believe in God. You don't have to believe in God. Whatever you decide to believe and feel, you're giving your own brain, your own interpretation of things, and have the right to believe in what you want to believe. But if that's not an example that God is looking over us, maybe the person that wants to take the other side of it will say, hey, you know what? Why would God take Tyler Skaggs? I get it. You know, one of the things that I'll never understand, and I could probably talk at nauseum to it to try to make sense of it, knowing that I can't make sense of it, is death. And how death occurs in so many different circumstances, sometimes sudden, sometimes over time. A person could, it, uh, you know, a mother can die giving birth, and a child as they're being born could be healthy and just die. And somebody could live to 100 or over 100 years old. And anywhere in the middle is essentially where any term of life is going to exist. And I'm not going to turn this into a philosophical conversation, but it, it, make, it certainly does make you think. And like I said, I could think and think and think and overthink and analyze and overanalyze to a point where I'll get myself going nuts thinking about death. You know, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, there is a fear. One day you're going to be here, one day you're not going to be here. And the timeline that's set for everybody is completely different. But I tell you, you look and you look at some of the circumstances in this game. And like I said, the no-hitter really is the icing on the cake when you talk about what happened. I mean, that, that that's something that just goes out and just blows your mind. The fact that, all right, this pitcher died last week. First home game, the Angels obviously do a nice tribute to him. Number 45's on the mound. Every player on the Los Angeles Angels team is wearing Tyler Skaggs number 45 jersey. They score seven runs in the first inning. Of course, they're getting the energy of it. That's probably not much of a surprise. They're going to come out. They're going to want to give everything they got. They're going to want to win the game for Tyler Skaggs. I get it. But man, as you watch this game go on and you're like, Mike Trout's home run. Eerily similar to D. Gordon's home run. The, the game after Jose Fernandez died. All the players wearing the same jerseys. Come on, if you were watching that game, tell me if you have any compassion for humanity. You're choking up a little bit. And I can't imagine watching Mike Trout go around the bases as they're all thinking of Tyler Skaggs and not dropping a tear. I watched, I can't watch the highlight of D. Gordon's home run against Bartolo Colon. And you know, I'm a Mets fan. I'm breaking down crying as I'm watching D. Gordon go around the bases wearing that number 16 Jose Fernandez jersey. And you, know, you watch this game unfold, and it shows, listen, it shows the unity that 
athletes have. And this applies to all sports, not just baseball. You know, these players, they, they live with each other. They spend, you know, six months of the year with each other. They train, they practice together. They do everything they can. Of course, the goal is to, as a team, go out there, unify, win, and all in all, win a championship. But there's a closeness and a camaraderie that exists amongst players that unless you are an athlete or were an athlete or understand sports as they exist, maybe you don't understand sports, it, it's almost like losing a family member. And you see it on the field last night. You see the emotions, obviously the fans, but also the organization and the players that are on the field. And I'm sure the Seattle Mariners are looking back at it and say, hey, you know what? I'm happy for the Angels, how they were able to salute their teammate. And I think of, you know, obviously, the tragic events of 9-11 in New York City. And the Mets played the Braves, the first game in New York City after the tragic attacks or, you know, the unfortunate terroristic attacks. And the Braves are playing the Mets. And the Braves beat the hell out of the Mets for, a, you know, about a decade before that. And the Braves for one day, Bobby Cox, a Hall of Fame manager, Chipper Jones, a Hall of Fame third baseman on that team. And obviously Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin all in the Hall of Fame as well. And they probably look back to that day. And as much as they enjoyed beating the Mets' brains in over the course of, of years upon years upon years. That was one day where you watch Mike Piazza hit that home run and watch those firefighters and watch those New York City police officers. Obviously, it's not going to make anything that just happened go away. But for one moment, you're able to honor the lives of those that were lost. And obviously, you're not going to compare a tragic death of an athlete during the prime of their playing career to what happened in 9-11. And if you interpret it that way, I'm sorry, you're just not getting the point. But the bottom line, from a competitive standpoint, two teams are put on the field or on a court or on an ice to defeat each other. To One of them is going to come out on top. And there's no team that wants to concede a game. Sure, over the course of a 162-game baseball season, it might not be the biggest deal to try to win all 162 games. Maybe you know, it's impossible. Nobody, no team's ever done that. No team has won any more than 115 in a given season. Seattle Mariners 2001. It's impossible to do that. So sure, there's sometimes you concede, but you know, in addition to just not having it one night, this is a game that the Seattle Mariners or if it was the New York Yankees or the Dodgers or anybody else would have gladly conceded this game, considering what it meant to the Los Angeles Angels, to the family of Tyler Skaggs. And, of course, you know, there's nothing that's going to be able to repay the, the family of Tyler Skaggs. There's nothing that's going to happen that's going to be able to bring the man's life back. You know, tragic, tragic death. It's unfortunate they're going to have to live the family with the rest of their life knowing that their loved one will never be with them again. But in a night where they're honoring the player, it's more than irony. And you can use the word and say, hey, it was ironic that the Angels won and scored seven runs in the first inning and Mike Trout had a home run and they threw a no-hitter. No, that, that happened for a reason. God was looking over them. God looked over them the same way God looked over the Miami Marlins the, you know, the game after Jose Fernandez was killed. And maybe in a you know, eerily weird way, God who did take the lives of those players. And he can't blame God, but God has a plan for everybody. 
Like I said, God has a timeline for every single person that is here. It's a minute to 100 years. Somewhere in the middle, your shelf life is going to come up. You're going to expire. It's going to be time for you to go. And, you know, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to go see Jesus. You know, whatever you believe, you're going to move on. And the spirits may exist and go on. Or maybe you don't believe in that either. But your memories, your physical memories of what you did and what you accomplished on this earth will live on through those that you know and love. But it's just, you know, to watch everything that happened over the course of that night. And I think it was just tremendous, great for baseball because it shows, you know, humanitarian side of how we do care about people. And, you know, obviously the unfortunate thing about death and non-death, it's, it's, it's just... It, it, it was just a sad set of circumstances, but the no-hitter on top of it, really, throws out there and says there's no doubt that God was watching over the Los Angeles Angels, you know, last night. You know, seven-run first inning, Mike Trout home run, everybody's wearing the number 45 jersey in honor of their fallen teammate, and you get a no-hitter. And just a, a little corny baseball stat I'll throw in there, just two no-hitters in baseball history were similar to the one that was thrown last night. We, of course, had the Babe Ruth, Ernie Shore no-hitter. Babe Ruth walks the first batter of the game, gets thrown out for spitting in the umpire's face. Ernie Shore goes out there, retires the next 27 batters. Then you had the no-hitter with the Astros, where Roy Oswald got hurt. I think it was like after the second inning, or in the, I think it was in the second inning. So the only two other no-hitters in baseball history were a pitcher pitched two or less innings. The starting pitcher pitched two or less innings. Uh, Taylor Cole throws two innings last night. Felix Pena the next seven. They combined for a no-hitter beating the Seattle Mariners. But, of course, they do it all in the memory of their fallen teammate, Tyler Skaggs. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely free entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charge and admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I teased this topic at the beginning, and I, I think it's very interesting to bring up because you talk about dominance over the course of the history of sports. You think of individual success, Jack Nicholas, what you're about to see this weekend, or you may see, if Serena Williams wins the Wimbledon, that'll be the 24th time that she's won a singles title. And it's incredible for an individual. And I don't think there's another individual athlete out there, <coughs> excuse me, that has won more championships. Roger Federer, as he sits there on his 20 major championships. If he wins Wimbledon, that'll be number 21. You know, in golf, Jack Nicholas, the record of 18. Tiger Woods is pursuing it as he won you know, the Masters this past year as 16th major. And I try to compare that to what it means. An individual athlete obviously has very little to rely on. You could say a golfer has a caddy. And you know, anybody wins a, a, any sort of championship, they throw a little money towards their caddy. Who helps them? You know, some of them give better advice than others, but in some cases, some are just in simply, hey, hand me the club that I want. This is the club I'm going to use to hit. Just give it to me. And they have little impact on any decisions that are made on a golf course. You know, tennis, you know, you got equipment managers. You got people that are working with you. You got coaches. You got people that work with you every day. 
So, you know, those, those are ones that are going to get rewarded. And I guess if you're talking about an individual and an individual sport, you would say that would equate as part of their team. And obviously, you know about team sports. A team doesn't win with just an individual. A team needs contributions from multiple players to be able to win any sort of championship, a World Series, a Super Bowl, a Stanley Cup. It can't be done by one person. There can't be one player. And, of course, there's been dominant players. There have been some of the player, best players in the sport that have won championships. And they're rated by the amount of championships that they won. You know, Bill Russell's 11 NBA championships is something you may never see in the history of sports again. Bill Russell is probably known as one of the biggest winners in the history of sports. 11 championships in 13 years. It's something that's incredible. You think of, you know, Michael Jordan winning six in the NBA. You think of Yogi Berra winning, what, 10 World Series championships over the course of his career. Joe DiMaggio winning seven. You know, the players, obviously, it, it becomes a part of what they're remembered for. But without the help of teammates, without the help of other dominant or good players, at least average, at least above average players to help you go out there and win a championship, there is no championship. And those elite players will not be, would not be able to say, hey, we are a champion. You look at, as we spoke last week about super teams in the NBA, you could compile the best active players that exist in a sport, but there's no guarantee that that team is gonna go out there and win themselves a championship. It's just not a guarantee. You still got to go out there and do it. You still need to have some sort of camaraderie. One dominant player doesn't make a team. So, once again, it brings me to my question. What is a bigger deal or what is a better accomplishment? Individual championships or team championships? And I look at what Serena Williams has done, and obviously, you know, she's a mother, she's, you know, got a less than two-year-old child. You know, as a woman, as a female athlete, certainly should be revered in that way. What a fantastic career she's had. But where does that rank when you put her up against the New York Yankees? Because think about it. Think about the 27 championships that the New York Yankees have won over the course of baseball history. 1923, 1927, and companies, almost 100 years we're talking about, pretty close to 100 years since the Yankees' first World Series championship. And you think about it, and how many different players were part of a World Series championship with the Yankees? How many teams combined together to make 27 World Series championships? You can't say that the Yankees are about any one player. You talk about the great players that played in the history of the New York Yankees franchise, and you start with the likes of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra and you know Reggie Jackson and Derek Jeter and Mo and you know anybody that you want to name that's been part of Yankees history. 
there's no individual that was part of all 27 World Series championships because over the time frame that it happened, it's mathematically impossible. So the Yankees winning 27 World Series championships, as great as that is, I think falls a little short for what Serena Williams could do if she goes out there and wins her 24th major title on a tennis court. And people that may say, hey, no, you know, there's no way we can honor or we should respect more an individual tennis player because nobody cares or few people care or are as passionate about tennis as they are about other sports. Tennis is not the NFL. Tennis is not Major League Baseball. Tennis is not world soccer. And I think that's a bunch of hooey. But what an individual can do over the course of the short time that they get to play. Serena's not going to be able to play until she's 50 or 60 years old. She has a time frame within about 20, maybe 25 years if she's lucky, that she can win as many major titles as she can. Roger Federer, as he gets set, if he could beat Rafael Nadal in Wimbledon and win his 21st major, is in the same set of circumstances. So what do you look at or view as being more of an, of an accomplishment? That team sport, the Yankees winning 27 championships, you know, the Montreal Canadiens in the NHL winning 24 Stanley Cups, whether it's the Boston Celtics winning 17 NBA championships, the Los Angeles Lakers winning 16 NBA championships, or in NFL, if you want to talk about the Super Bowl era and the New England Patriots winning six Super Bowls, or talk about the fact that the Green Bay Packers, with the amount of NFL championships they won, have won more championships than any team in the National Football League. 13 championships, 9 NFL championships, and 4 Super Bowls. We talk about the greatest teams in sports, but what makes the teams the best teams in sports is a series of players on a, different, a bunch of different teams that accompanies, in a lot of cases, a long period of time. Now you can talk about Belichick and Brady, what they've done over the past 20 years, and I do think that is fairly similar to talking about what we what I'm just mentioning in regards to tennis and golf. You, know, you have a generation, you have a time frame. Belichick isn't going to be the coach of the Patriots forever. Tom Brady's not going to be the quarterback of the New England Patriots forever. They have a certain time frame where they're on the NFL football field in a semblance with the rest of their team, and that's the time that they have to win as many championships as possible. So that is pretty close if we're talking about individuals in a sport. Bill Russell, the time that he played in the National Basketball Association, only had that certain time frame to be part of as many teams that won the championships. But once again, without those other players, without help, those individuals that go down in history as being the greatest winners in a team sport would not have those championships. You need help from the team, you need, in some cases, coaching, but you find some of the best athletes, some of the best baseball players in the history of the sport. Ty Cobb, Ted Williams, never won a World Series. It didn't mean that they weren't immoral players. It didn't mean that they were all-time greats. You know, that they weren't. Of course they were. But without the help of teammates, without other good players, without an assemblance of a team that could go out there and win it all, you're just an individual with your own stats. And that's what team sport separates team sports from individual sports. And you could say, hey, a selfish player on a team can bring a team down. But maybe in the individual sport, you could say that the selfish player 
on an individual sport in tennis or in golf, if we're talking anything similar, maybe a pro bowler, if we want to throw that out there, maybe the selfishness of that individual player is the difference between them being average, them being good, and them being an all-time great. You need some selfishness to be Serena Williams. You need some selfishness to be Roger Federer or Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus. If you're not selfish, if you're selfless, what are you conceding? You're probably conceding championships. You're probably conceding the ability to be an all-time great. So when you're an individual athlete on an in an individual sport, you sure as hell better be selfish. It takes, sure, some selflessness to win championships in team sports, but not in individual sports. Just a reminder that this is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer. That costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, there's a proposal out there, and I don't think this is going to happen, but at least I at least thought it was a little entertaining. Because you know that the owners in the NFL, the commissioner, Roger Goodell, they're trying to gravitate towards expanding the NFL season. And the players are against it for many different reasons, certainly financial. If you're playing 16 games and your, your contract or your salary for a season requires you to be part of 16 regular season games, well, would you expect an incremental raise if it goes from 16 to 18 games? There's going to be a dispute between the owners and the players over that. The owners will say, well, you know what, you're spreading your salary over a course of 18 games. That means you're making less money per game. Players aren't going to want to do that. They don't want their co contracts, if they had decided that they were going to go to an 18-game season, they would want their contracts prorated to a point where they'd make the same amount of money over the course of 18 games. In other words, they're getting a raise for the extra two games that they're playing. And the other side of it, obviously, is the safety issue. You got concussions, you got the seriousness of the violent game that we see. Athletes are so much more strong. They are, are built, you know, it's like battering rams. Every collision on an NFL football field is like the equivalent of a car accident. You got CTE, all, all these different things to worry about when it comes to health and safety of the players on the field. You got players in a prime of their career, 25, 26 years old, decide that they had enough and they're retiring. You got retired players that can't deal with the CTE. The injuries to their brain have gotten them so messed up that they just want to end their own lives. They don't want to deal with the headaches anymore. So we know this is all serious stuff. So there's always going to be that dispute or that debate between the players that, sure, want the game to be as safe as possible, want to put themselves in as little harm's way as possible, and the owners that are saying, this preseason charade that exists, the four games, the fact that nobody plays in any of these games. And we understand why nobody plays in these games. You don't want any of these players to get hurt in these games that mean nothing. So, hey, take this time. Spread it over the course of 18 or 19 weeks. Play two more games. Make it mean a little bit more. So the last proposal that was put out there, I think would... I think end up causing a charade in all honesty. I think there's a lot more, I think probably balanced maybe 50-50 in regards to positivity and negativity in, in regards to this proposal. 18-game NFL season, the players who are getting paid to play in 16 games are not going to be able to play in any more than 16 games, which does create a little more strategy. 
And you know, obviously, as a baseball purist that I am, and I'm a sports purist, I look at back at the way games used to be played, and I'd like to see as much of the past injected into the present as possible. But, you know, you think of the players that are playing in 16 games. And let's say, hypothetically, we went to an 18-game season, and there was a mandate that no player could play in any more than 16 games. Obviously, that leaves the strategy involved up to the coaches of when they're going to play a player, when they're not going to play a player, and how does it impact the stars? You know, a backup quarterback is guaranteed to be starting two games during the course of each NFL season. You can talk about Eli Manning's consecutive start streak that he, you know, at some point passed Brett Favre. You'll never have that again in the history of pro football because you're not going to be allowed to play in every game. The most games you can play in is 16. But you think of quarterbacks, and obviously an overly sat, you know, a, a position that has so much more value than that, maybe in any other position in sports. Your star quarterback only playing in 16 of 18 games. You have to go to your backup. Do you decide, hey, is week one a good time to sit your starter? Or do you want to be in a spot where maybe you start your starting quarterback all first 16 games and sit him in the last 18? You're obviously taking a risk. You don't know if your team's going to be good. You could have the most talent on the field. We could talk about all the experts that expect your team to do so good and there's no guarantee you're going to be in week 17 or 18 over the course of an 18-game NFL season and not have those games mean something. So if you play in a first 16 and you got to go to your backup quarterback in game week 17 and 18, I'm sure it's going to happen. We're going to have teams playing for a playoff spot with their backup quarterback because their starting quarterback wouldn't be eligible to start. But listen, all of this is a bunch of discussion right now because this is probably not going to happen. But this is the first time that you've really heard anything that the owners have discussed in regards to proposing that almost makes a little bit of sense. I'm not saying it'll ever happen. And honestly, I, I think you know the dispute that the owners and the players are having over the amount of games that they're playing is going to be something that's going to continue to be tabled. In other words, when the NFL's collective bargaining agreement expires in 2020, I don't think it's going to be as divisive of an issue as, let's say, some of the issues that are going on in baseball. I don't think there's going to be a lockout or a strike in regards to this particular issue, but it's something that's always going to be discussed. At some point, it may make sense to play more games in the National Football League, but from a safety perspective, we understand why that doesn't happen. Maybe it could come a time where we just shorten the preseason. Shorten the preseason to two games. Maybe have some extra practices over the course of those other two, three weeks and just not have four preseason games. You know, what's the sense in playing four preseason games if the first two games are going to be essentially walkthroughs where starters are not going to play? Maybe the starters will play a little more in game three, but you know the last preseason game, the last one before the regular season starts, is going to be a game where it's another walkthrough. And you're lucky if your starting players even set foot on a football field and play a single play. I understand that. I get how the preseason is such a charade and something that probably is boring to watch. Imagine being part of an NFL team and having to just toughen it out over the course of that month. But I don't think we're going to get to a point where we're going to add more games during the regular season. 
I mean, you look at the most violent game in all sports, and I know you can talk about hockey or rugby or lacrosse. You know, they they're all have certain levels of violence involved in them, but there's no violence in a professional sport that is anywhere close to what you see in a National Football League. I mean, these are machines that are essentially created to just crash into each other, and the amount of head trauma that's you know caused by it, you understand why the league... You understand why humanity, as we exist in this world, just don't want to see any more collisions. They want to minimize the amount of contact possible. They obviously are not going to be in favor of expanding the season beyond 16 games. Just a reminder that Castro provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. Castro engineered for today's smaller cars. So a little recap of the show today. We talked about Tyler Skaggs, and we spoke about him in the show we did last week, but the Angels having their first home game since the tragic passing of their pitcher. Everybody's out there wearing number 45 jerseys. They score seven runs in the first inning against the Seattle Mariners. Mike Trout hits a home run, and on top of it, you get the divine intervention of a combined no-hitter with Taylor Cole and Felix Pena. And we mentioned that that impact on baseball history, only the third no-hitter in baseball history where a starting pitcher went two or less innings. Babe Ruth and Ernie Shore, Roy Oswalt and five relievers, and now you got Taylor Cole and Felix Pena. But obviously the eerie similarities between that night, last the night of last night, and the night of in Miami, Florida where the Marlins honor Jose Fernandez and Dee Gordon wearing the number 16 jersey hits the home run off of Bartolo Colon. And obviously, if you have any compassion for humanity, you, you get a little shook, shook, it, uh, shook it up watching this. Because they, they love their teammate. They miss their teammate. They know he can't be there. They know he's never coming back. Everything they're possibly trying to do, they're doing for him. And it's just, you know, a tragic set of circumstances, of course. But once again, you know, God finds a way to put himself out there and say, hey, you know what? You lost your teammate. Let me give you this night. And he did the same thing to the Marlins a couple of years ago. Spoke a little bit about individual championships as they apply or they're compared to team championships. You got the Yankees. You got the Montreal Canadiens. The Boston Celtics, you know, the Green Bay Packers, the winningest teams in all professional sports. And he put them up against the likes of Serena Williams, who's trying to win her 24th major. Roger Federer, as he gets set to try to win his 21st major. In golf, Jack Nicholas, his 18 majors, as Tiger Woods hopes to have the opportunity to go after that 18 majors. What is a bigger accomplishment? From an individual standpoint, of course, it's the individual sport. But it doesn't take a lot away from the players who have won. You know, the Bill Russells of the world, the Yogi Barras of the world, the players that just happen to be on winning teams. Obviously, they deserve credit for their contributions to it, but they wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for their teammates. And that's why, as you watch this weekend, Wimbledon, you may not be a big tennis fan. You may not care a whole lot about professional tennis. But as a sports fan, you may want to look at what you're watching and say that, hey, I grew up in the era of Serena Williams, was around when she won 
maybe her 24 major championships. Roger Federer, almost 21 if he wins Wimbledon in the finals. He beats, yeah, what's it? Uh, I guess he's going up against Djokovic. Very interesting to think about, but what's more of an accomplishment, that individual sport championship or that team championship? Or that individual championship on that team? Tom Brady's six Super Bowls, Bill Russell's 11 NBA championships. We also spoke a little bit about the 18-game proposal in regards to the National Football League. It's probably never going to happen, but at least there was a little bit of thought behind it. You're, not, you're going to keep paying the players for 16 games. You're, not, you're going to make a mandate that no player can play in any more than 16 games. Okay. I mean, at least it's a little groundwork of something that could happen. But once again, I just don't see things ever changing. If anything, there may be less games in a National Football League. We may go back from 16 to 14 games. So the last thing I got to talk about, once again, is, you know, an unfortunate situation. And, of course, I'm going to say, you may not agree with this, but my thoughts and prayers are out for Dwight Gooden. Certainly one of my favorite players growing up in baseball. And you know he is battling a serious, serious illness. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be more negative when they hear, hey, Dwight Gooden was arrested with the possession of cocaine and being under the influence. And you can say, hey. This guy just keeps screwing up. And I think it's easy to say that. But I think we should grow a little compassion for what it's like to be an athlete. Because somebody goes out there, you have a certain time frame of your career, and you go from being unknown to known in a heartbeat. And everybody knows the story of Dwight Gooden, the young kid coming out of Tampa, Florida, emerging on the scene with the New York Mets in the 24-4 and season, the Cy Young year of 1985, and all of a sudden he is one of the most popular people in New York City, one of the more popular people in the whole United States, and how people are going to handle that. How do you handle that individually? Well, most of you that are being critical or supportive will probably not never get a chance to understand what that means and what that signifies. There's also those that aren't going to be able to relate to what it's like to be an addict. Somebody that uncontrollably can't keep themselves from being drawn to something that's damaging and harmful to them. And obviously Dwight Gooden is an addict. And for those of you that are just instinctively saying, hey, he screwed up again. I don't believe it's Dwight Gooden's choice. And some people were created with more addictive personalities than others. I mean, think about that person that has smoked for, you know, X amount of years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And you say, hey, that's a bad habit. That's something you should give up. That's something you should quit. Tell that to the person that can't keep themselves from it. You can take it away from them. And I had a sad story of a coworker and I you know, I don't wanna, you know, make make this out to be anything specific, but I'll paraphrase this story without mentioning anything that it was involved in. A man 
smoked cigarettes for a series amount of years, a series of years, met a girl. To make that girl happy, the man quit smoking cigarettes and his addictive personality took over and he got back into drugs. And I think a lot of us spend a lot of time, unfortunately, not understanding what it could be like to be somebody else. And Dwight Gooden may be more voluntarily conceding to his addiction. It could be possible. He could get to a point where he says, hey, forget about it. I don't care anymore. And that's possible. But we don't know that unless Dwight Gooden goes up there and holds a press conference and says that exactly. We don't know that that's the case. You have to feel for somebody that obviously is living a destructive life. It's not like he's going out there choosing to kill people. It's not like he's addicted to serious crime. He's addicted to something that is harming himself and at some point may lead to his own demise and his own untimely death. So before you go out there and judge Dwight Gooden, take a moment to try to empathize, sympathize. And I don't know, if you can't put yourself in the shoes of what it's like to be an addict, good for you. I mean, a lot of people are fortunate to not have an addictive personality, to not have to fight any sort of battles to keep yourself away from something that is extremely harmful. But just try to understand what it could be like for somebody like Dwight Good. Because I'm sure the last thing that he wants to do is go back to doing coke. If he could get himself away from it, I'm sure he would like to. But unfortunately, he just can't keep himself from doing it. So my prayers are with Dwight Good. And I hope God can look over him. I hope God can bless him. And God can get himself to a point where he can stay away from this self-harmful and terrible, terrible habit. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show. Brought to you by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck. If you're in the Scranton, Pennsylvania area, uh, to check out Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located on Nayog Avenue in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, great series of food, ingredients made by Karen and Jenny. They do a great job over there. Once again, Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, Scranton, Pennsylvania. You can Google it, or you can like their Facebook page, page Two Ways, number two, W-A-Y-Z, O-N-E, Passion Food Truck. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week. This is the Passball Show. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com, St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.